If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 714. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audio book of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. You heard about it yesterday, the new class, Causes of the Civil War. Use the coupon code CAUSES. It's a limited time, limited enrollment only. You're going to want to get in on it. So use that coupon code CAUSES. Get that class for $200 off. It's a real bargain, even at $200 off, because you get time with me. You're going to be on camera. You're going to be on microphone. It's actually required. We're going to have one-on-one, almost one-on-one conversations. You'll be in a group environment. But this is a real discussion environment. In contrast to everything else I've ever done live, which is you have you know, 80, 90, 100 people there, and you might get your question answered. You submit it through a Q&A. Maybe I answer your question live. Maybe you get that. No, no, no. You're going to have time to ask me direct questions. It's going to be a fantastic opportunity for you. But you got to use that coupon code CAUSES, CAUSES OF THE CIVIL WAR. I've also got, of course, 20-plus other classes there you can purchase, which are also awesome, and they're on demand. This is a new thing, though. You're going to want it. All right, so you can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can click on the Super Thanks button under the video, which is a great, if you're watching on YouTube, great way to support the show. Uh, You can click on the Shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it that five-star review. Leave a comment wherever you can leave a comment. Let people know you like it. Leave that review, right? Don't just give it five stars. Leave the text review. People say, hey, Brian McClanahan Show is awesome. Best podcast on the net, whatever it is. Uh, You can do that. And share it around on social media. Let people know you like it. Let your friends, let your enemies know you listen to the Brian McClanahan Show. And send me those show requests. I don't always respond back, but I do read them, and I want you to be part of this show. This is we. This is us. We're in this show together. This is for you. All right, so let's talk about the topic. It was uh, kind of building on something or building off of something I've done before on this program, and I've mentioned this book, this Noah Feldman book, The Broken Constitution. A lot of, le- a lot of lefts, lefties, progressives, libs love this book. Because essentially what the left is doing now, and I've said this before, is they're saying out loud what they've been doing without saying out loud for nearly half a century or longer. You could even go back to Lincoln. They're doing exactly what they said they've not been saying they're doing, but now they're saying it out loud. They know what they're doing. They are not abiding by the Constitution. They're breaking it and remaking it. Right? They don't really care about the original text. They don't really care about original meaning. They don't really care about original intent. They don't. They think the Constitution is awful and it needs to be scrapped and they need to start over. Now, in one way, I understand that, right? I think there are major defects in the U.S. Constitution. I think if we sat down and said the Constitution is perfect, we would all be lying. 
I think there are problems with the U.S. Constitution. I think that, and I've said this before in an email, I've said it on this podcast, the Confederate Constitution of 1861 was superior to the U.S. Constitution in many ways. One of those, of course, the way that they handled the executive branch. It was a non-electable, re-electable, I should say, six-year term for the president. You got six years and that was it, and you're out. Six years. So if that was the case, you know, we would have had Obama for six rather than eight years. It would have been better, right? And the president can't run for re-election, so they're not out there constantly campaigning for the first four years and not doing what they, you know, kind of being deceptive about what they want to do. They just go in full bore. Now, what happens when they go in full bore and they start violating the Constitution and doing other things? Well, that's when I proposed amendments and nine presidents who screwed up America to try to hold them accountable, make it easier, in fact, to impeach the president, to get rid of them. If they abuse power, and that should be one of the impeachable offenses. In fact, the founding generation talked about this. If the president abuses power, they should be impeached and removed from office. So if you go and look at that last part of that book, I don't know if you've ever picked up nine presidents who screwed up America and four who tried to save her. Everyone focuses on the nine people. Actually, there's 13 presidents I talk about in there that are really bad. Everyone focuses on those 13 people. And then sometimes they'd like to talk about the four. The only reason the four that are in there is because the publisher said, you can't write this awful book. All these people are bad and not give us some hope about some people that are actually good. So I put four in there. It's uh, If you don't know, it's Thomas Jefferson, John Tyler, Grover Cleveland, and, and Calvin Coolidge. And I could have included some others that I thought were pretty good. But those are the four that tried to save her. And even Jefferson has his own problems. And look, even Grover Cleveland... Uh, signed some pretty bad legislation. One of them, he, he signed the legislation that created the Interstate Commerce Commission, which was awful. So you've got some mistakes by all of these people. Okay, John Tyler, not so much, but the other ones, certainly. Um, so you have that. But the coolest part of the book is the last part of the book, which I've covered on this podcast before, where I get into the various pro- uh, amendment proposals that I think could curtail executive abuse. So here's one example where I would actually agree with all these leftists running around saying the Constitution is terrible. terrible." Yeah, the president has too much power. I also think that there should be some type of teeth in the Tenth Amendment. There should be some mechanism to enforce the Tenth Amendment. Now, why is the Tenth Amendment important? Because it is the protection of minorities that matters the most in a written constitution, and the Tenth Amendment protects minorities in their political capacity in the states from abuse by the majority through the central government. That's the whole point. You see how you blast these idiots on the left as you say, well, I thought you believed in minority rights. What you're saying now is you don't really believe in minority rights. Conservatives, if they're the minority, then we have to protect conservatives. And if all you're saying is you believe in the tyranny of the majority, if you believe in the 50% plus one, 50% of people plus one person, right? That's a majority. If you believe in that, then you believe in abusing minorities. You are not in favor of minorities. You're not in favor of minorities at all. You are in favor of majoritarian government and abusive majoritarian government. And I... In my, in my day job, right, when I get to, to talk to students in person, which you can do at Causes of the Civil War, right? You're going to have it like I am your professor. It's going to be great for you. This is what I said when I started selling that class. I had to pay thousands and tens of thousands of dollars to get what I wanted out of that when I was a graduate student, to work with a professor I really liked. You can do it now for a few hundred bucks. You can, work, you can be my student. 
It doesn't matter if you're a graduate student. If you are a graduate student, great. It doesn't matter if you're an undergraduate student. It doesn't matter if you're a, a lifelong learning adult. You can be my student. You can say that I am. Now, you're going to get a certificate of completion, too. So you're going to have a document saying, I completed this class. And you can hang it on your wall. You can use it for professional development. It's an awesome opportunity for you. And I'm going to hammer this home all week because enrollment will be closing. You want to get in this class. So, look. We have an opportunity here to um, to really explore what the Constitution means, right? A real opportunity. Now let's uh, let's talk about this piece that I want to cover. It's in Politico, and this was uh, it's written by John Harris. Now John Harris is the founding editor of Politico, so here's the guy that founded the website, writing this piece about the Constitution and how it's broken. Um, and what he thinks we should do about it. Okay, so this is published on September 22nd, so not long after a quote-unquote Constitution Day, which I talked about last week. And of course, I've done something like this before, where I have uh, these... I've talked about Feldman's book. I've talked about you know progressives saying out loud what they really meant. They were just hiding it for years. He says, perhaps you have wandered through much of your life only mildly aware and mostly indifferent to the fact that there is something called the Constitution Day. If so, consider me a fellow traveler. Well, this is a good thing, right? I mean, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing that uh, you know we, we have not really thought about Constitution Day. I mentioned that last week. We shouldn't really think about Constitution Day. Conservatives love to talk about Constitution Day. In fact, this, this, uh, our, the first time I read something about this piece was that uh, Newsbusters which is conservatives, it's a conservative site, and they are shocked that anyone would say anything bad about the Constitution. The Constitution's got some major defects. It has some real major defects that we should be thinking about, improving. I mean, this is why I've said we, we can call it a convention. I don't care about that. Look, it'd be better, and I'll say this, it'd be better to have the Constitution completely rewritten in the nationalist framework than to try to, to have this thing that people just ignore and abuse. It would be better if they we just had it spelled out. We're going to have this nationalist, awful government that we can't rely on anything to do about. I mean, because essentially that's what the courts have done. This is what the Congress has done. Well, let's just spell it out that way. But if you actually went to a convention, I don't think it would happen that way. I think you would see more people because states are the essential building blocks of it all. There would be more states that would be interested in reigning in federal power than... Uh, than not. And that's why these people don't really talk about amendments. They don't really talk about amendments. They talk about just ignoring it because they know that at the end of the day, they wouldn't get what they want out of a new convention or a new written constitution. It would not work in their favor. So just ignore it. He says, but in these times, in the wake of the January 6th committee's work exposing Donald Trump's assaults on the rule of law and the orderly transition of power, many responsible people have concluded that Constitution Day complacency is a privilege we can no longer afford. So many people, responsible people, these are, that's a code word for leftists, establishment left, these are responsible people. Many responsible people, we have to understand what the Constitution is. This is what I said last week. So do we really want these dopes teaching the Constitution? Because what they're going to do is say the Constitution means this, this, and this are my progressive agenda. Do we want these dopes doing that? No, I don't. But if you're in a federally funded school, and their little secret is 
Just about every school in the United States is federally funded. If they take federal financial aid, if you're a college university, you're federally funded. If they take Pell Grants, you're federally funded. If you're a K-12 through school, you're getting money from the Department of Education, you're federally funded. So what is done, what that's, what's, what's happened there, of course, is every school has to, has to have a Constitution Day something or other in September or they can lose their federal funds. So they all do it. It might just be handing out some flyers about the Constitution. It might be having a speaker on campus about the Constitution. It might be having uh, your, your government class teacher come up and talk about the Constitution. I remember uh, th- in my institution, there was a, uh, the, one of the professors there uh, on Constitution Day. We ought to read the preamble. I mean, this is just a joke. But that's what we had to do for Constitution Day. The official holiday was September 17th. You knew that, right? Well, it's not really an official holiday. It's just it's no really national holiday about this at all. It's just a day to recognize the Constitution, not a holiday. So to say there's even a holiday, this is a misnomer. It's not a holiday. It's, it's a it's just Constitution Day. And why is it September 17th? Well, because that was the day the Constitution was signed in Philadelphia and then sent to the states for ratification. But of course, the dirty little secret is it had no authority on September 17th, 1787. So why do we even look at September 17th in any way? It's a ridiculous day. But here now, responsible people, we need to know about this Constitution thing. And the week before and continuing this week, there have been a gusher of speeches and symposiums devoted to extolling the Constitution and illuminating the threats to it. You see, the progressives have capitalized on this. Yeah, we believe in the Constitution. Look, MAGA people are against it. They're all against the Constitution. We believe in the Constitution. You are just saying you believe in the Constitution, but you really don't believe in the Constitution. Now, I mean, I could actually agree with them in that in some ways. I don't think really Americans believe in the Constitution much at all. If they did, we would have real federalism. We would have a a central government that was so limited that we wouldn't even pay attention to it. If we really believed in the Constitution... We haven't believed in the Constitution since 1789. <laughs> we, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the Constitution, but I, I would the, the conservatives don't believe in the Constitution. The progressives don't believe in the Constitution. Nobody really does. If we really believed in the Constitution, Joe Biden would do essentially one thing, and that would be foreign policy. And it would be a disaster, but this is what he would be doing. The Congress would do everything else in the clearly enumerated powers in Article 1, Section 8, which isn't a whole lot, by the way. It deals with commerce and defense, so that would be that. And then the states would handle all these other things. All this culture war stuff wouldn't even be on the table because there would be no federal power for it. We wouldn't have a Constitution Day. We wouldn't have anything like that for the simple reason that this would be considered to be unconstitutional. It would be recognized as unconstitutional to have a Constitution Day. (laughs) It would be a distortion of the original Constitution. So, all all these conservatives don't really believe in the Constitution. All these progressives don't believe in the Constitution. They believe in whatever the Constitution wants to mean to them to get what they want at the end of the day. Expressing solemn reverence for the Constitution has become a way of signifying right-mindedness across the political spectrum, even among Trump supporters whose actions plainly undermine constitutional order. In much of this rhetoric, the Constitution is elevated from a secular document to a sacred one, infused with mystical dimensions. Now, again, funny. This is hilarious. 
reverence for the Constitution, as right-mindedness across the political spectrum, whether it's left or right, even among Trump supporters, even among these right-wingers. Now, left-wingers, when we say we have reverence for the Constitution, we mean it. We really believe in the Constitution. Of course, they don't, and they haven't, and they never will, because the Constitution, as he says later on the piece, it doesn't really work for us, right? So we should just forget about it. Deference to the Constitution, as Trump's depredations make plain, is the indispensable foundation of American democracy. We don't really have American democracy. We have a federal republic. Not a constitutional republic. That's, again, another misnomer. Words matter. Language matters. We have a federal republic. A constitutional republic would be something like France. It's a unitary state. You could say there's a constitutional republic in Great Britain. But here in the United States, we have a federal republic. And that federal part matters because what you have is a federation of states or a confederation of states. The word means the same. And the central authority only has the delegated powers granted, or the powers herein granted. Who's granting them? The people of the states. The states and their political capacities. That's who's granting the powers. Plain as day. So this is all important. We don't have a democracy. We can have democracy at the state level. You can have all kinds of democracies. You can have initiative, referendum, recall, all that stuff if you want. In fact, again, the founding generation thought too much democracy was harming the states. We need less democracy for the center. Less. We're going we're gonna to clamp down on democracy. The Constitution is an anti-democratic document, which is why the left doesn't like it. It protects minorities. The whole point of being anti-democratic is protecting minorities. And let me tell you something. Minorities have figured this out. That's why some minorities love John C. Calhoun, because he is in favor of protecting minorities. Because the majority can abuse minorities. It doesn't matter what the minority is. It could be a religious minority, a racial minority, a political minority, a property minority. It can be anything. But minorities should be protected. And there shouldn't be the ability of a political majority, a numerical political majority, to crush the minority. It shouldn't happen. You shouldn't be able to plunder someone because you have... If there's three people, two people just beat the other one up and take their stuff. It shouldn't happen that way. That's theft. That's abuse. But deference is different than reverence. Constitution Day of 2022 arrived with more reasons to be frustrated by the defects of our national charter than at any time in generations. The occasion underlined two related Trump-era paradoxes that likely will shape our politics long after Trump's shadow lifts. These people are so fixated on Trump. If Trump wasn't around, they'd have nothing to talk about. I could say something else about this, if you know, because this this is what the left is the problem with the left. Their whole their whole persona is complaining that somebody else is doing something to them, and they talk about it incessantly. And if that thing wasn't around, they would have nothing to talk about. That's why they love the thing that's around because it gives them something to talk about. It's victim mentality with the capital V. First, Trump is properly seen as a constitutional menace. But from a progressive perspective, many of the most offensive features of his tenure were not in defiance of the Constitution. Instead, they flowed directly from its most problematic provisions. Oh my gosh. From a progressive perspective, Donald Trump was a menace because he agreed with the Constitution. You see, the Constitution is bad. And it's bad because it's anti-democratic. 
he was in office in the first place because the presidency is chosen by the Electoral College rather than by the popular vote. Well, why is that, Harris? Why is that doofus that it was chosen by Electoral College? Because the states were the primary movers in this government and because they didn't really think that you could rely on the general population to make wise decisions when not all the information was available. And so you elect, you voted for an elector who pledged to support a particular candidate, and that's what happened. It was a federation of states. The states still elected the president. The Electoral College is there to knock down democracy. This is true. It's a beautiful part of the Constitution, in fact. There wouldn't have, I mean, look, this guy tra- champions Abraham Lincoln later in the piece. Lincoln would not even have been elected if it was for the popular vote. Right? I mean, he didn't get a majority. If we believe in majority rules, well, no, 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 no. Just a plurality. That's all we need. Just, just more than everybody else. That's not really a majority, though, is it? That's still a minority. Lincoln was a minority president. He's only elected because of the Electoral College. So, I mean, you think it's okay there, but not okay here. His influence will live for decades because partisan manipulation of the Senate's judicial confirmation power gave him three Supreme Court justices who have no term limits and face no practical mechanisms of accountability. Well, I mean, you could impeach them. This is something that's there. It was put into place, but we know the reason that can't work anymore is because when it was attempted in 1803, when Samuel Chase was so partisan on the bench that people had enough to say, this guy's got to go. The Senate wouldn't convict him. And so therefore, impeachment became uh, just a paper tiger. There was nothing that could happen with it. And John Marshall knew it, right? John Marshall knew it, which is why you get Marbury v. Madison and everything else, right? So, uh, I'm sorry, the Chase impeachment was before 1803, but you get Marbury v. Madison and all of that because Marshall knew he could act with impunity. There's no restraint on his power. Like some other presidents, but more so, he used the Constitution's absolute pardon power for nakedly self-interested reasons. In short, Trump may be an enemy of the Constitution, but he is also the president who most zealously exploited its defects. These aren't defects. These are actually benefits. When you look at how the Constitution was ratified, these were things that were actually trumpeted as being good parts of the Constitution. Independent judiciary. Judges for life. This was seen as a beneficial part. Now, not everyone saw it that way. Opponents didn't see it that way. The Electoral College was criticized at times, but the proponents of the document always sold it as a benefit of the document. It's a benefit. These are beneficial things, not bad things. But now you have progressives saying these are defects. I wouldn't say any of that is a defect. There are defects in the Constitution, but that's not. those two aren't one of them. In either of them, I should say. That leads to the second paradox. Anyone who is not a Trump backer properly bemoans the breakdown in constitutional consensus that allows his supporters to tolerate or celebrate his election denialism in addition to other efforts to insulate himself from the rule of law. Long term, however, the more bracing challenge to constitutional consensus is likely to come from the left, from believers in activist government. The more bracing challenges constitutional consensus. 
likely to come from the left. It's always come from the left. The left has always ignored the Constitution. They've done it since Lincoln. As he says, as Noah Feldman illustrates, Noah Feldman's book, let me, and I should probably review this and go through some of the book. But essentially his point is, you know what? All these conservatives that talk about the Constitution as being a limited document and the Constitution can't do, your president can't do this, the Congress can't do that. You know what? They're all right. This is all correct, which is why Lincoln had to go around it, which is why we should just ignore it. All of this is correct. The, 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 the position of limited government, essentially even secession, all of that is correct. But we should just didn't just don't care about that, right? We should just go around it. Lincoln did. Everybody should. Correcting or circumventing what progressives reasonably perceive, reasonably perceive as the infirmities of the Constitution, in fact, seems likely to be pre- pre- the preeminent liberal objective of the next generation. Correcting or not correcting, but more importantly, circumventing. Well, this is what they've been doing for 150 years. What's different? It's just now they're saying it out loud. This is what we're going to do. Because the Constitution is broken. It's written by a bunch of old slaveholding white guys. And they don't know anything about modern society. They don't know anything about what we're going through today. Nothing. So we're just going to circumvent it. We can't correct it because all these Jesus land people won't let it happen. They won't let it happen. Progress on issues ranging from climate change to ensuring that technology giants act in the public interest will hinge on creating a new constitutional consensus. Trying to place more sympathetic judges on the Supreme Court is not likely to be a fully adequate remedy. There are more fundamental challenges embedded in the document itself, in particular the outsized power it gives to states at a time when the most urgent problems and the most credible remedies are national in character. Ah, the real problem is that these states have any powers. The federalism is a problem. These are national problems. And we can't have the states getting in the way. We can't have that happen. These have to be national. See, again, they're saying out loud what has always been there. The states are the problem. These are the nationalists. These are the progressive nationalists. These are the innovators. These are the schemers. This is Alexander Hamilton. This is John Marshall. This is Abraham Lincoln. This is Henry Clay. This is Teddy Roosevelt. This is all of these people. Now, notice what I just did there. I listed a heck of a lot of Republicans. Or Whigs. But this is the issue, right? We have states as the block. The states are the problem. To be clear, there's much that is wondrous and enduring in the Constitution. The things that are weak could be corrected by amendments that would easily draw majority support from a national electorate. No, they wouldn't. (laughs) Majority support from a national electorate, meaning that if we had some way to amend the Constitution that didn't require three-fourths of the states to get on board, well, we could probably get it. If it was just 26 states, we could do it. That would require to do that an amendment, by the way. Anyways, in addition to the list above, altering or abolishing the Electoral College, term limits for the court, creating some check on the abuse of the pardon authority, there are other obvious targets. 
A constitutional renovation would clean up the infuriatingly murky language of the Second Amendment to make clear if effective gun control is allowed if the guns have nothing to do with a well-regulated militia. So we can we can uh, change we can clean all this up if we just have some type of change in the amendments. We can clean up that Second Amendment thing. We can we can do this through amendments. Then he says, here though is where the breakdown in constitutional consensus becomes potentially climatic, as it did during the Civil War and threatened to end, to end the New Deal and threatened to end the New Deal. Right. So here's where if we're if we're uh, if we're going to have amendments that the majority of Americans would support, but there could be a problem with that. And you know what that problem is? It's conservatives. Conservatives threaten the New Deal. Conservatives were the real block. Anything good in America, conservatives are the enemy of America. Conservatives, the people that are interested in the original Constitution, are the enemies of America. So this is what this guy is saying, essentially. John Harris. Not the John Harris that has the uh, conversations that matter, and different John Harris. This is John Harris. Popular majority or no? Most of these amendments would be opposed by conservatives, which under the terms of the existing Constitution means they likely would not pass. Well, right, because <laughs> you've got to have three-quarters of the states. So here's where he says, well, here's what we got to do then. We've got to go around this amendment process. Just forget about circumvent the Constitution. It takes three-quarters of the states to approve an amendment, a provision that gives many small conservative states widely disproportionate power over the fate of the nation. No, 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 not widely disproportionate. We have a federation of states, not a nation. You see, the language matters. John Harris is a dope. He's confused about all this stuff, and so many Americans are, because we went through government schools, and we were taught we have one nation indivisible, and we have a national government, etc., etc. All that nonsense comes out of the 1860s, because nobody really thought that before the 1860s. They didn't. Even people on the left weren't really speaking that way. Sometimes. But for the most part, they all talked about a union of states. Then he says, this is hardly a new problem, but it is one that threatens to reach a breaking point. The political scientist Norman Ornstein has popularized an arresting statistic, one that is validated by demographic experts. By 2040, 70% of Americans will live in just 15 states. That means 30% of the population, coming from places that are less diverse and more conservative, We'll choose 70 senators. What an odd endorsement of the Senate. <laughs> what an odd endorsement of the Senate. It's going to be the real check on democracy as it was intended to be. This is beautiful. Beautiful. Right? Beautiful. So these, the Senate will then become the most conservative part of the general government, and it will block just about everything that the left wants to do because all these lefties are moving to places like California and New York, and they're going to pile up in those states. I mean, they're also going to be in Texas and Florida, but I don't see those states swinging the other direction anytime soon. So you have, you have all of these people living in these states, in 15 states, but that means 70 senators come from these other states. Now, it doesn't mean these other states are necessarily going to be conservative. I mean, you're talking about places like Vermont, right? It's amazing how these progressives don't mention Vermont or Rhode Island. Rhode, they always pick on Wyoming. 
Already, each senator from Wyoming, the least popular state, ex exercises power on behalf of less than 600,000 people. No, no, they represent the state. They don't represent people. They represent the state, the state of Wyoming. It's a sovereign state, an equal state with all the other states, so this is what they represent. They represent the state, not the people, but the state. The only thing that represents the people directly is the House of Representatives. This was made clear in the ratification of the Constitution. In the Philadelphia Convention, it was made clear. All of this was made clear. While each senator from California, the most popular state, represents nearly 40 million. No, they don't. They represent the state of California. That's what they represent. Not 40 million people. Because you don't say, well, this senator represents these 40 million, this senator represents these 40 million. Or whatever it is. right? Or split that in two. Whatever it is. You don't say that. Uh, you say that they represent the state of California. This distortion of democracy, already hard to defend, could become the defining feature. Of, no, it's not hard to defend. It's easy to defend. It's not a distortion of democracy. It's a benefit of federalism. It's easy to defend. could become the defining feature of national life. Now, again, why don't they bring up Vermont? Bernie Sanders is from Vermont. I haven't checked the population of Vermont in a while. But I venture to guess that Bernie Sanders doesn't represent very many people if you say he represents people at all. Let, let me see. What is the population of Vermont? So looking at the population statistics, Bernie Sanders represents, if you want to use John Harris's argument, 624,000 people, whereas Senator from Wyoming represents 571,000 people. Now, why is it awful for Wyoming, but not Vermont? Well, because they have Bernie Sanders from Vermont. So would you say that Bernie Sanders is anti-democratic? Would Bernie Sanders? I mean, Bernie Sanders wouldn't even be in the government if we had it. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a defect of the Constitution. Bernie Sanders is a defect. He's a defect of the system. He only represents 624,000 people. So John Harris, the senator from Wyoming, is a defect, but Bernie Sanders is not a defect. You see, it's funny how they pick, they pick the states they want. Wyoming. You know who's in Wyoming? Dick Cheney. And you know what's in Wyoming? Cowboys. You know what else is in Wyoming? Lots of land. You know what else is in Wyoming? Guns. They have all these things in Wyoming. In Vermont, they have hippies who wear Birkenstocks and listen to fish. That's not a bad group of people. That's a great group of people. Those 624,000 people are, are just beautiful people. Those 600,000 600, people in Wyoming, those 571,000 people in Wyoming, those are right-wingers. Those are dangerous people. Not the 624,000 people in Vermont. They just love small farmer's markets and listening to fish and wearing Birkenstocks and being socialists. They love it, but the 600,000 people in Wyoming are bad people. So I wonder if you asked, well, wait, John Harris. So would Vermont be bad then? How about Rhode Island? Rhode Island has about 600,000 people. How about Delaware, where Joe Biden was from? About 600,000 people. So we wouldn't have had Senator Biden for all those years. Is it bad to have Senator Biden? We wouldn't have Senator Chris Coons now if it wasn't for Delaware, right? So is this bad? 
I mean, this is what this is what we have to ask ourselves. These people point out, well, what about Wyoming and Montana and North Dakota and South Dakota? These places are terrible. They only have 600,000 people. What about all these leftist senators that come out of these small states? Are they bad? No, 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 because they would go with the popular majority. They would go with the popular will because they're voting with California and they're voting with New York. Well, they could or maybe they don't. But these senators from states that want to oppose us because they have small populations, they're bad. This distortion, far more than Trump's vandalism, is the most likely source of a true constitutional crisis in the years ahead. Only if the progressives push that. There's no crisis unless the This is the important thing. I talked about it yesterday with the causes of the war. It's all the conservatives. The conservatives are always the problem. They're the ones forcing the crisis. But who's really forcing the crisis? The malcontents. The victims with a capital V. The Karens, the Kens, the Yankees. These are the people pushing the crisis. This is the real problem. They're the ones making up a faux crisis. There's no crisis here. It's not a crisis at all. If they just left it alone, it'd work just fine. You could be your leftist dope in wherever state you're in. I don't know where where, uh, John Harris lives, but he could be his little leftist dope in California or New York, wherever he is. And he could just leave everybody else alone because we have real federalism. The states can do what they want. That would be real peace and harmony. Now he gets into the question, but isn't this exactly what the founders had in mind? With their their conviction that the country was a union of states that retained ample sovereignty? One answer is that the current conflicts plaguing U.S. democracy may not be at all what they wished for. Really? One answer is that the current conflicts... Or not what they wished for. The great concern of the framers was creating a system of government with the capacity for self-critique and self-correction. Several features of the Constitution now interfere with that capacity. Hmm. That was a great concern. (laughs) They actually made it pretty hard to amend. And this was pointed out. Uh, This thing is too hard to amend. The opponents of the Constitution said, this thing is too hard to amend. That's a good, that's a, I mean, this is good, right? We don't really want it amended that much. No, if it's a, something that everybody wants and needs, then we can have it. But otherwise, we don't want just the whim of the majority amending the Constitution. They said this was a benefit to it. But then his other answer comes up. Another answer, however, is who cares what they thought then? The Constitution was written at a time when states were indeed foundational, a central part of people's identity and way of life. This has not been true for nearly a century as both national government and national identity have become stronger. Why? Because this is what the general government did. Because this is what the it was decided by the general government itself they were going to reduce the power of the states. There was a war that, that made it to where uh, you couldn't really question this anymore, at least theoretically. Then he says states are still essential administrative units, but the rural conservative voter in California, which had more Trump votes voters than any state, even if it, as he lost it by nearly 30 points, has more in common politically with a rural conservative from South Dakota than either have with urban progressives in New York or San Francisco. So we really have an urban-rural divide. The states really don't matter anymore. It's more about urban-rural now. Urban-rural. We don't, we don't identify as people from states anymore. We identify as urban-rural. We identify as conservative liberal. 
And so we should forget about these states' administrative things. Again, I've pointed this out on this podcast before. Uh, Dan Fisher in Oklahoma presented a bill in Oklahoma to abolish the state of Oklahoma. He said, what's the point? You just tell us what to do from the central government. We can't do anything else. We'll just be the administrative district of Oklahoma. And we can save all kinds of money. We just abolish the whole government. It doesn't even work anymore. We'll just become an administrative district of the general government. And you can just tell us what to do because that's what you do anyways. Now, a real return to federalism makes that not happen, right? And so what, what John Harris is really complaining about is federalism. Get it. This is what he's complaining about is federalism. Who is the thorn in the system? Who's, who's the burr under the saddle? It's not the federalists. It's not the people who are saying we need to have a federal republic. No, no, no. It's the nationalists who are complaining incessantly that they're not getting their way. Who is the crybaby in all of this? But we have the majority. But we are the but we we have we have more people. We should get our way. We should win all the time because we have a majority. This is what it comes down to. It's babies. Snowflakes. The most effective leaders have not cleaved to constitutional understandings that have been overtaken by new imperatives. Abraham Lincoln used the exigencies of war to eradicate slavery, even as slavery until that time had been regarded as protected constitutional right. So see, here's Abraham Lincoln, a guy that was elected by a minority, by the way, (laughs) through the Electoral College. But yet still, Lincoln is the great majoritarian. The most effective leaders not cleave to constitutional understandings that have been overtaken by new moral imperatives. Now, uh, there's a higher law in the Constitution, you see. This is what it comes down to. By general law, life and limb must be protected, yet often a limb must be amputated to save a life. But a life is never wisely given to save a limb, Lincoln wrote in a famous letter. I felt that measures otherwise unconstitutional might become lawful by becoming indispensable to the preservation of the Constitution, the preservation of the nation. So what, I mean, this is beautiful. Lincoln is saying, and again, they're saying the part out loud now that people didn't say for years, Lincoln violated the Constitution over and over again. Lincoln didn't preserve the Constitution. Lincoln didn't preserve the Union. Conservatives need to stop championing Lincoln because this is the real Lincoln. He is a leftist. He is a leftist. He always has been. He always will be. And he never really believed in the Constitution. If he did, we wouldn't have had a war. So what will happen this time when amending the Constitution seems improbable, but living indefinitely with outdated provisions seems intolerable? Only intolerable to dopes like John Harris, progressives. History suggests multiple possibilities. Decisive conflict is one answer. The reason talk of a new civil war is increasingly common. Harvard law professor Noah Feldman wrote in last year's The Broken Constitution, Lincoln's Slavery and the Refounding of America, the Refounding of America, that Lincoln did not so much save the Constitution as something more dramatic and more extreme, the frank breaking and frank remaking of the entire order of union, rights, constitution, and liberty. Oh, by the way, John Harris says, oh, he gave the Constitution Day speech this year at Brigham Young University. Well, that's an odd endorsement of not having these universities around anymore, right? Because Noah Feldman shouldn't even step on a stage if this is what he's going to advocate. I mean, we're remaking America. Now, he does say that, heck, the Constitution... Lincoln was violating the Constitution over and over again. That was a good thing, though. A good thing. 
But there are other ways short of violent rupture to survive these moments, as now, when the Constitution no longer reflects the imperatives of the moment. One of those ways is when artful improv- improvisation I'm sorry, creates a new consensus. One of those ways is when artful improvisation. So we just run around it. The Supreme Court struck down much of FDR's initial program, but the New Deal's core assumption that we live in a national economy with a robust and responsive national government prevailed, helped along by a dramatically new understanding of the Interstate Commerce Clause. (laughs) So a dramatically new understanding, something that nobody had ever thought of before because, well, it wasn't really constitutional. You see, this is an indictment of federalism, of originalism. That's what this entire piece is about, and it's ridiculous. Another way to survive is good luck. In the Cold War, presidents had and still have a power never contemplated in the Constitution. The ability to blow up the world with nuclear bombs on command in minutes, with no approval by Congress or anyone else. Wait, are you sure about that? You sure the president has the power to do that? The president, I mean, this was discussed. The president can repel sudden attacks. And you can say, well, the president has the authority to do it. On his own authority, to repel sudden attacks. The only... They can't, a president can't launch a nuclear attack without congressional approval unless we're repelling a nuclear attack from a foreign power. That would be that would be the only justifiable reason for it. The president can't launch bombs just because he feels like it. There would have to be some kind of congressional approval for this. But, I mean, that's a weak argument. That's one of the weakest arguments in the whole piece. Well, we didn't contemplate using bombs to blow over. It's still a war power. And the president doesn't have power over the sword. The president has the power to repel sudden attacks. This was talked about. Well, if somebody invades, well, you can use the army right then, your commander-in-chief of the army that's an actual, you know, regular army, to repel the sudden invasion. Then you got to work through Congress. That's acceptable, but not offensive. This is a ridiculous argument. Conflict, improvisation, good luck. Likely all three will be required for the country to survive the coming constitutional showdown. If successful, we can someday go back to not paying much attention to Constitution Day. Well, we shouldn't pay attention to it anyways. But, uh, I mean, here's the thing. This is a ridiculous piece. One of the worst pieces I've ever read. But again, it shows you where the left is. They are open about things now that they were never open about before. All right. This is a fun thing to do, and I'll see you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.